Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined by my co-host Astrid Edwards. And today we are in conversation with Jivani Blair West, who is a new first-time author of a quite lovely book called How to Make the Biggest Decision of your life. Let me tell you a little bit about Jivani. She's a Queenslander and she has worked in advertising in the past and she has spent a lot of her life traveling around the world. And she then fell into a life of coaching. She followed in the footsteps of her parents who are also coaches and she became a dating and attraction coach and it was Valentine's Day last weekend and it's time for us to sit with a modern day dating guru and have a chat to her about how she works with particularly new couples about how to move beyond the initial passionate crazy exciting awesome phase into something that is actually sustainable. Here's our chat with Jiminy. Jivani, congratulations on your book. Tell us, why are we all so set on this idea of finding the one? Yeah, it's a very common kind of myth that we've really set out to debunk because I think in previous generations, it was more easy to believe in the one. And we also talk about this in terms of romantic destiny, this idea that one day you're going to stumble across the one, fall in love and everything else will fall into place. And that myth used to live strong because people got married and they stayed married up until around 1969 pretty sure that was the year when ronald reagan brought in the no fault divorce law in california which set off a chain reaction around the western world in particular and it really normalized divorce a little bit more and made it easier for people to divorce for differences rather than having to have like a really ironclad reason. And so since then, we've seen more and more people divorce. Divorce has actually become quite common in the last two generations. And so it's becoming less of a myth to buy into that love is enough and that we'll just find our person and love will do the rest. And so what our book is about is recognizing that Love isn't enough and we could fall in love with all different kinds of people. The question is, of the people who we could fall in love with, who's going to be the best match for the life that we want to lead? It's fascinating when you talk about choice because from my understanding of history and particularly women's limited choices in history, there often wasn't that much choice. And now there is a choice of what decisions we can make in relationships and whether we choose to stay in relationships and whether we even choose to get married or commit in other ways and then leave. It makes me reevaluate what I know of the relationships of the past and what may come for the next generations. Absolutely. This is such an interesting time because we do have more power and more choice than ever before. And we also have more information. So us millennials, like we're really good at researching things and learning. 
So I co-wrote this book with my dad and what he found as a baby boomer is that when he started talking about this idea of choosing your partner, people of his generation weren't that interested because they just thought love happens to you and you'll just find someone and we don't make a choice. Whereas the reason why this book came into being is because he found that millennials are so much more curious and they actually want to know what can we think about? What should we be exploring during the dating phase to make a better choice and avoid divorce? So what's the answer to that? What should we be exploring? (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a few things that we go through in the book, but the most important one that I'll start off with is having aligned vision and values. And this comes off the back of the research done by Dr. John Gottman, who is a relationship researcher. And he kind of became famous for being able to predict within a very short time period of meeting couple, whether or not they're likely to stay together for the long haul or not. And one of the things that he started to look at to help predict that is, does the couple have aligned vision and values? And so these vision questions are particularly important. You kind of touched on it before. It's particularly interesting in our generation because we have more choices. One big one that I see a lot of my peers struggling with is do we or don't we want kids? This is one of the biggest vision questions. And it's absolutely fine either way. Like I'm not here to judge, but it's important to find a partner who for their own reasons is aligned in that way. Because if you have one person who definitely wants kids, one person who is pretty sure they don't that is an unresolvable conflict that sadly is just going to keep coming up again and again in the relationship and make it really challenging so vision and values and it's not just about the choice of whether to have children i imagine that might also be similar ages or backgrounds or types of families that you were raised in i mean what comes in that category So it could be also around like where you want to live. Do you want to live on acreage or do you want to live in the middle of a big city? Do you value travel or do you just want to have a quiet life at home? Do you value your career? And it's a little bit important to the order that you value these things, at least like your top five, because you might have someone who has family right at the top of their list and another person who has career. And that could, if they don't have within their top five family as well, that could create another conflict. It doesn't mean that you have to have exactly the same values and in exactly the same order, but they do need to be compatible and not in conflict. So how important does attraction become when you put sort of your model of what makes a loving, lasting relationship over the top? Does it kind of fall down the order of importance? One thing we talk about is avoiding the nines and tens. And what we mean by that, I'm not talking about physical beauty here. I'm talking about the whole package of how attracted you feel to someone on a scale of one to 10. And these nines and tens, people often go out looking for those intense feelings of intoxication and infatuation. And it's often this feeling of what some might describe as love at first sight. And we want to avoid that because it becomes a bit of dangerous territory when You know, these are the people who we tend to meet and immediately there's something familiar about them. So we tend to fall, inverted commas, quite fast into infatuation with them and often project a lot of our fantasies onto them. So it means that as the relationship progresses and there might be warning flags that show up, we are much less likely to actually pay attention to them. And if we're basing our partner selection largely based on attraction, what people often find is that it's not enough to carry them through the tough times. They expect attraction to be enough, but attraction is really fleeting. So 
I think attraction can still play a role. We talk about going for like the sixes, the sevens and the eights, going for a slow burn, starting more from a basis of friendship and, you know, at a six or seven or an eight, you still like this person enough to hang out and be curious about them, but it allows the passion to build. You can still build up to the nine and 10, but starting there is dangerous because as I've said, we often tend to project a lot onto them. I think we've all said the word divorce a few times and obviously in particularly Western culture, but all cultures, divorce exists. It's more common now. But what about partners that don't choose to marry or who aren't allowed to marry for legal reasons, but nevertheless are going into, you know, long-term partnerships? How do we track rates of success in relationships if we're not looking at marriages and divorces? It is much trickier. There isn't a lot of data on that. So it is something that still it would be wonderful to explore further. Have you kind of touched on one interesting thing? So whether or not you decide to get married, that's a personal choice and that's totally fine. However, we do recommend that at some point in a long-term relationship, you decide to make some sort of commitment to each other and actually name that and own that. Because one of the most interesting bodies of research that we came upon was this concept of sliding rather than deciding, where couples just slid into relationships a little bit unconsciously. For example, you know, you meet someone, you're in the honeymoon period, everything seems to be going well, and you decide to move in together just largely to save on rent or because someone's lease comes up, rather than actually thinking about the bigger picture what that step means, what that milestone brings with it. And we call these decision windows. So this is a great example because it's probably the most common one that people are faced with. And it's during this time that we've really got to think about how we want to progress this relationship because the moment you move in together and have no place to easily move out, it becomes what we call a constraint, which means that rather than just continuing the relationship based on how much it's serving you, people tend to stay longer in unhealthy relationships because it's too hard to leave. You lived outside Australia for a lot of your 20s. Did seeing how love and relationships differ around the world, particularly I think ideas of romance and dating differ between cultures, did that sort of shape your theory that you've kind of brought to this book? Did it change your thinking? It definitely has in some ways. I think what comes to mind just as you're talking about that is more the differences in dating cultures and the different kind of cultural personalities people go into relationships with. Like I've spent a lot of time in South America, for example, and you know how South American people are often seen to be quite fiery and passionate and romantic, which is really beautiful. I also found when living in America, men are a lot more forward and like willing to pursue a woman and flirt with a woman. Whereas I find here in Australia, men can be a lot more reserved and a bit more shy. Now, Jivani, where would you place this book in a bookstore? Do you consider this to be self-help? Do you think this is almost a philosophy of approaching life and love? How do you conceive of, you know, what do you want other people to think of this book? Why are they going to pick it up? I think there are a lot of books written about relationships and how to have a better relationship. But the difference that we wanted to do with this book is address how to choose a partner to have a better relationship. 
I work more with single people, but my dad works more with couples. So he can really attest to this. So often he'll have a couple come in and one person really wants to work on the relationship and the other one is kind of sitting on the fence. And it's really hard, even with all the best relationship wisdom in the world, to overcome that and to have a good relationship if one person's got one foot out the door. And so the difference in our book is that we're we're approaching how can you actually choose someone and use the dating period before you get in too deep to make better choices and to find someone who's going to be able to grow with you and going to be able to create a healthy relationship with you. So I guess to some extent it would technically be a self-help book, (laughs) but I don't want that to put people off. I know some people are um, disinterested in self-help books, let's say. I feel a little bit old asking this question, but so many of my girlfriends who are heterosexual and single complain about game playing. And it's something I remember from when I was dating, this idea that you're almost competing to work out how you can fall into a partnership that is going to work for both of you. There's push and pull. No one asks exactly what they're feeling. No one kind of lines up well, this is what I'm looking for from a relationship. There's a real gameplay that happens when you first meet someone. And yet that can also be the most exciting period in a relationship. So how do you move from that period of a relationship, those early weeks and months of gameplay into something more meaningful and I suppose something that feels a bit less dangerous? Yeah, it's a fine line. One of the things that makes me laugh when I think about when I started dating is the advice that I got around like treat a mean, keep them keen or like playing things cool. And I so often played things too cool and relationships didn't move forward. And I think sometimes it takes two to tango and sometimes how we're showing up in the relationship can also facilitate more game playing than we would like. And dating is in part about a filter. So I think that the more that we can show up with authenticity and it doesn't mean laying all of your cards on the table at once. We still need to pace the relationship, which I write about in the book. Pacing the relationship means moving the relationship along at a pace where you're in sync with the person that you're dating. So you're checking for reciprocity and you're not running 10 miles ahead of them and hoping that they'll catch up with you, right? So it is important And I want to make this distinction between game playing. It's not about playing games, but it is important to pace the relationship and not just go all in too soon because that's how we can so often end up with the wrong people. So, Jam, at some point you and I are going to have to have a talk about you referring to being old. You are not old. I am five years older than you. But my question (laughs) arising from that is... What age is this book for? Because with, you know, the rise of divorce and relationship breakdown and all of that kind of thing, the fact that we have choice, people don't just make a decision about a life partner in their 20s or their 30s. It can be happening all the way up into your 70s and 80s. Absolutely. And in my work, I've worked with people from age 20 to 70. I've even got one who's 71. So it is really amazing to see that. And at the end of the day, we're all human. We all want intimacy and It can be a long journey if we haven't learned what we need to learn. Relationship skills can be learned and something that I'm really passionate about long term is I'd love to get a relationship course in school and actually teaching teenagers these concepts because it is sad how under-equipped a lot of us are when it comes to dating. We just haven't had good modelling or good conversations or good advice. Like I talked about the bad advice before of treating mean, keeping and keen. So it's definitely for everyone. I think... In particular, like this book is absolutely for anyone. And 
particularly thinking about these things, even if you're in a relationship for a few years and you're thinking about taking it to the next level, like having kids, it's an important read. And in particular, though, we do really want to reach the 20 and 30 year olds before they have kids, because we all know that divorce can just be devastating to children. I wanted to ask about COVID, which is hugely original of me, but COVID has impacted dating, right? I think a lot of us have talked about how it's impacted our relationships. And I feel like I read everywhere that we're going to see a spike in the divorce rate, that there are couples who are either having so much sex that there's going to be lots of babies at the end of COVID or quite the opposite. I haven't read as much about people who are dating. And I think particularly during lockdowns and extended period of restriction and nervousness about being in close physical proximity to someone who's not in your bubble, for example, both Astrid and I are in Melbourne. So we went through that period of really not seeing someone other than the people we lived with. How has that impacted or shaped dating culture? Do you think we're going to see a change going forward? There are a couple of things that I think are positive in terms of how COVID is shaping the way that we date. The first one I found in my work, people are valuing relationships a lot more and thinking about them a lot more. And I think that's only a positive thing. So they're already starting to seek more information and bring more thought to who they're dating and what the dynamics are playing out. Secondly, One thing that I think is good about COVID is it's encouraged people to date a little slower and definitely jump into bed later. And so I love that people are getting more creative with their first dates, like going for walks, because that already puts you in a much more comfortable position of being side by side symbolically as you're walking along together rather than having an awkward like dinner date across a table where it can very often turn into feeling like it's a job interview for the potential partner position so I think there are some positives about this and slowing it down particularly like I love that it's also normalizing doing more like video call dates I know it's not everyone's favourite way to meet, but I do think that there are positives to that as well. Jivani, thank you so much for chatting with us and all the best on your book tour. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Jiminy Blair West and her book is How to Make the Biggest Decision of Your Life, Unlocking the Secrets to a Healthy, Lasting Relationship. And yes, you did hear right, she co-wrote it with her father, Dr. George Blair West. That's all we've got time for today. I'd like to thank Hachette Australia, who continue to be a glorious partner for this podcast, and they keep publishing authors like Jiminy. We'd like to thank Future Women and Bad Producer Productions, and we would like to thank you, the audience. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being with us once or even twice every week. If you are enjoying Anonymous Was a Woman, please head to wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating and a review and subscribe. That way you will never miss an episode. And also it helps other people find the podcast. Bye for now.